Well, good morning, friends. Happy post-Labor Day to all of you. Good to see you today. It is a privilege for me to introduce our speaker today. H.B. Charles is the pastor and teacher at the Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church of Jacksonville in Orange Park, Florida, where he has served since 2008. He is primarily responsible for preaching, teaching, vision casting, and leadership development. Outside of his ministry with his congregation, he regularly speaks and teaches at churches, conferences, and conventions around the country. He has contributed to several books and journals. Pastor Charles is the author of It Happens After Prayer, On Preaching, On Praying, On Worship, The Difference Jesus Makes, Getting Right with God, and Reaching God's Goals for Your Life. Pastor Charles and his wife, Crystal, have three children, H.B. the third, Natalia, and Haley. Would you join me in welcoming today Pastor H.B. Charles? Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you this morning in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. To Dr. Yarborough for the kind introduction and invitation to Dr. Allen and Dr. Baxter, to the entire faculty and family of Dallas Theological Seminary. It is a great joy, blessing, and privilege to be with you this morning. I thank God for the work of this school, and you have a cheerleader in Jacksonville, Florida, <laughs> praising God for your work here. If you get your copy of God's Word, be turning with me to the book of Proverbs. Let me breathe a word of prayer then I want you to hear the reading of God's word. And we'll consider then what God will say to us out of what he has already said to us in his holy word. Let's pray. We indeed, Father, love you because you have first loved us. And you have demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In his name, we pray now that our worship would go higher as you deepen our understanding of your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Give us understanding and we will obey your word and keep it with our whole hearts. Would you please guide my thoughts, guard my heart, and govern my words so that everything I say would be consistent with sound doctrine. And as the seed of the word is planted and watered, we know that only you can make it grow. So we reserve for you, as always, the highest praise and full credit for the fruit that shall come from this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to Proverbs 3? And I would have you meditate with me on verses that you are most likely already familiar with but they are precious words for us to consider afresh. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Amen. The exhortation of the text and of the message is just simply this, trust God. The ethicist John Cavanaugh 
visited the House of the Dying in Calcutta, hoping that his time there would give him some sense of clarity about how to spend the rest of his life. On his first day there, he met Mother Teresa. And during their conversation, she asked how she could pray for him. He asked her to pray for the thing that had brought him all that way, that he would get some sense of clarity about how to spend the rest of his life. He was shocked when Mother Teresa refused to pray that for him. She said, clarity is the last thing you are holding on to and need to let go of. Taken aback by it all, he expressed that he had come hoping to speak with her because she seemed to be one of the few people in the world who always had a sense of clarity about what she was to do with her life. She giggled and said, I've never had clarity. What I have had is trust. And that is what I will pray for you, that you will trust God. The message this morning is for those of you like, like Mother Therese, like John Kavanaugh, like myself, prone to cling to clarity rather than simply trusting in God. The challenge is to live contingently, trusting God beyond what you can see, trusting God beyond what you can understand. Second Corinthians 5 verse 7 succinctly summarizes this adventure of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Wouldn't it be great if God gave us turn-by-turn -turn GPS instructions for the major decisions of our lives? It would make life easier, but it would also handicap our faith. And so God bids us to go forward by faith without revealing to us the details of what lies ahead. And our temptation is to hang back and cling to clarity in worry, doubt, and fear. But I want to remind you this morning, brothers and sisters, that life at its best is only experienced when you trust God beyond what you can understand. The Bible says in Job 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who trusts in him. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in you. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 famously declares, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. 
The exhortation is simple, trust God. Though the burden is heavy, though the climb is steep, though the cross is difficult, though the night is dark, though the storm is raging, trust God with everything, above everything, in everything, and through everything. Consider that with me in these two verses. First, it bids us to trust God with everything. Verse 5 begins, trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's not a lot of heavy exegesis or complex exposition needed for that phrase. It's clear and straightforward. The problem is it's easy to understand but hard to obey. <laughs> What does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? The text begins with a call to trust. Just that call to trust kind of sets us back on our heels. We live in a culture where the word trust has become a bad word, a limited commodity, an abused stewardship with all that's going on around us in society. Violence, racism, injustice, political upheaval, wars and rumors of war, not to mention hypocrisy in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many people who have adopted a philosophy of life that says don't trust anyone. And while it is tempting to live in a way that views everyone you meet as guilty until proven innocent, in a real sense, God would not have us to live lives dominated by worry, doubt, fear, suspicion, and paranoia. The text calls us to live lives of trust. It is a statement about us. We must live with trust because we cannot manage our lives in our own strength and resources and wisdom. But we're finding here not only a call to trust, but the object of trust. There are many people who would, would suggest that it doesn't matter who or what you believe. We are living in the rise of the nuns who when asked what their faith is, mark none of the above. And increasingly, more people would claim that it doesn't matter if you believe in anything or anyone, but that's just not true. We all inevitably live by faith. No, we, we may not trust God, but we trust in something. It's still morning, but it would be difficult for us to calculate how many acts of faith we've committed just this morning since we woke up? Inevitably, life is structured that we do inevitably live by faith. The warning of the text is that we must not, however, place our faith in anything or anyone that is not worthy of our trust. Faith is only as good as its object. And so God alone is worthy of our trust because his 
ways are just. His character is good. His nature is holy. His promises are sure. And his faithfulness is unchanging. The text says don't just trust anything or anyone. Trust in the Lord. But would you also note the nature of trust in that phrase? With all your heart. That's interesting. The text bids us to trust in the right person, in the Lord, and then tells us how to trust him with all your heart. Trust God wholeheartedly. Depend on God completely. Rely on God exclusively. This is interesting language. Because there is no such thing as half-hearted trust. The only way to trust God is with all your heart. Half-hearted trust is really wholehearted unbelief masquerading as faith. The only way to trust God is with all your heart. Early this morning, I got a plane from Jacksonville here. Early this morning. (laughs) And we were all half sleep in the line, just kind of going through the motions. And as we uh, were scanned into the plane, went down the ramp, we took that big step of faith that regular travelers don't really pay attention to, but it's a big step of faith. It's that step when you step off the ramp and onto the plane. I'm, I'm never not conscious of that step. I I, I recognize, I recognize that my life is not in my hands, but boy, when I get on a plane, I am reminded acutely that my life is not under my control. What what will happen next when I get on that plane is, is determined by many, many factors beyond my control, weather patterns, flight control, air traffic, pilots, other passengers who won't share the overhead space. (laughs) But as, as as big of a step as that is, you don't see even the most frightened person standing, holding up the line with one foot on the ramp and one foot on the plane. No one does that. Because everyone basically recognizes that when this process of boarding is over, they're going to close the door and back off from that ramp and take off, and either you are in or you are out. In a greater, deeper, higher way, that's what it means to trust in God. You you cannot trust in the Lord and, and at the same time be leaning on your own understanding. This is a, this this trust in the Lord with all your heart applies directly to the unbeliever who will hold back from trusting the finished work of Christ because they have questions. And the truth of the matter is, the enemy will make sure the unbeliever always has questions as an excuse not to believe. Salvation really only happens when you trust in the Lord with all your heart. It also applies to the 
to the believer, maybe the new believer, who, who is hesitant about committing themselves to the local church. And they are serial visitors at several different churches looking for the perfect church. No perfect church. You just got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. But this also applies, if I may, to people like you, believers, who are, have committed your life to Christ. You're studying to serve the Lord and his people, to spread the gospel, maybe at a place where your life will be on the line. And yet we are still tempted to worry over matters of family and health and finances and relationships and future. And we need to be reminded, as Romans 8 tells us, that he who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously provide everything that we need? If we can trust that the Lord, through the gift of his son, and his bloody cross and empty tomb has provided the way to heaven. Can't you trust that he'll take care of what you need in your journey from earth to heaven? The text says, trust God with everything. But then it bids us to trust God above everything. Verse 5, and do not lean on your own understanding. This is not a statement against rational thinking, intellectual investigation, strategic planning, doctrinal study, or theological truth. There, there are those that separate faith and reason, but faith is not irrational. Faith has its reason. 1 Peter 3, 15 bids us to set apart Christ as holy in our hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who ask us the reason why we have placed our hope in Christ. Faith has its reasons. Faith is not about checking your brains at the door. God does not want you to stop thinking in order to trust him, but he does say, I need to change the way you think. Psalm 26, verse 2. Prove me, O Lord, and Try me, test my mind and my heart. Isaiah 1.18, come now, says the Lord, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, I'll make it as snow. Matthew 22.37 bids us to love God with our heart and mind and strength. Romans 12.2 bids us not to let the world squeeze us into its mold, not to allow the false value system of the society around us to shape our thinking, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 2 verse 5 says that we're to let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. God wants your mind. He wants to change the way you think, to trust him. He does not bid you to stop thinking. But the warning of the text is that you should not let what you think you know be an excuse not to trust God. One occasion, W.H. Griffith Thomas was asked by French pastors, why is it? that the scholars of the day questioned that Jesus actually ever lived, but the lowly members of their congregations 
trust all of the truth of the gospel without any shadow of a doubt. And Griffin Thomas suggests that the problem may be that the lowly members of the congregations are trusting in the Lord with all their heart while the great scholars are leaning on their own understandings. In fact, that same, as I was studying the text, I just was chasing down cross-references in my treasury of scripture knowledge and stumbled over, interestingly, the use of that word lean in 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 6 to describe the suicide of Saul. When the young man came to David to report the death of Saul, he described what he saw. He said, I saw Saul leaning on his sword. The Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding. May I go so far as to suggest it's spiritual suicide to lean on your own understanding. Friend, I don't know about you, but I thank God that there are truths about God that I don't understand. If we could understand everything God was up to, it, it means that God is no wiser or smarter than we are. That's not a God worth serving. God is worthy of our praise, trust, and obedience because we are limited. He is not. We know some things. God knows all things. We can do a few things, but God can do everything. One Pastor, young pastor, got a call of a tragedy. Member of his church died in a tragic car accident. He went to minister to the widow. He was concerned about the young family, but also a little excited because he was going for the first time to get to use all of the training he had got in seminary. And sat there and began to try to explain to this dear woman how a good God could let something like this happen. She listened to her new reverend as long as she could and finally cut him off and said, Reverend, right now, I don't need those explanations. What I need is to be reminded that God is bigger than what I can understand. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. He says, trust God with everything. Trust God above everything. And then going into verse 6, he says, we should trust God in everything. Trust God in everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Literally, know him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. To be honest, I am many times convicted as the Holy Spirit brings this phrase up into my mind. Because I'm, after the years of walking with the Lord, I'm still tempted to establish and order my own plans and then ask God to bless it on the tail end. But this passage is a reminder that the whole philosophy of God bless me while you mind your own business doesn't work with him. We are to acknowledge him in all our ways. To trust God is to acknowledge him in all your ways. 
This phrase, this statement, this clause to acknowledge him in all your ways means that trusting God is about seeking God, not trying to use God for your own purposes. I was called, I was saved as a boy, called to preach as a boy. I began pastoring my first church in Los Angeles as a boy, 17 years old. I'm not recommending that, that's just my testimony. <laughs> and and I, I, was, I, was, I was naive, I just thought that if you, you know, if you just teach the Bible, the church will hear the Bible and do the Bible and that's church. I was shocked. First time I got into the deacon's meeting and heard the deacon say, little reverend, we know what the Bible says, but, Yeah, we believe the Bible, but God gave us common sense. This passage reminds us that the Lord does not permit us to compartmentalize our lives in some secular category and spiritual category. And there are things that God is up to in our lives and families and ministry that will never make sense through mere common sense. We need to, in the language of Colossians 1.9, we need to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We're to trust him in all of our ways. It also means that you cannot try to live life in your own wisdom, strength, and resources and then call on God in some 911 emergency when things get out of hand. We are to, in all of our ways, Seek God, know God, chase after God. The primary question of every situation and circumstance we find ourselves in should be, where is God in this? Where is God in this budding relationship? Where is God in this challenging decision? Where is God in this ministry opportunity? Where is God in this apparent blessing? In all of your ways, seek God, acknowledge God, look for God. My favorite definition of faith, I read years ago in a Yancey book, he describes faith as paranoia in reverse. I like that. Paranoid person is convinced that someone is out to get them. And they believe this even though there may be no rational evidence to prove that someone is out to get them. And you could actually show that person that their fears are not well grounded and they will not believe your logical presentation. They'll just conclude you are part of the conspiracy against them. <laughs> That's how paranoia works. And faith is indeed paranoia in reverse without evidence, beyond what we can see, beyond what we can understand, we believe, Romans 8, 28, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Trust God with everything. Trust God above everything. Trust God in everything. And then finally, trust God through everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. 
He will make straight your path, says the Bible that's open in front of me. But I grew up in my daddy's church. Um, my daddy's church wasn't King James only, but we only use King James, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and um, and uh, I grew up learning this verse to say, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Praise God for that. I believe that. I believe what David says in Psalm 23 is true. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 9, that the heart of man sets his plans, but the Lord orders his steps. And James 1 says in verse 5 that if anyone among you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it to you generously and won't chastise you for asking. He leads. He leads in straight paths. He leads in straight paths for his name's sake. But I suggest that this clause that ends verse 6 is not so much about divine guidance, it's about divine intervention. He will make straight your path. The underlining assumption is that following the Lord doesn't guarantee a smooth path in life. There will be obstacles to overcome. There will be challenges to face. There will be difficulties to navigate. But if you walk by faith and trust and obey, he will make straight your path. In fact, this is sometimes how we miss God. There's something in us that assumes that if God is in it, everything should go smoothly. Maybe you should go ask Joseph about that <laughs> or David about that or Paul who at one place says that a door has been opened and there are many adversaries. No, if you follow God's will for your life and for your ministry, it will not always be easy. But if you walk by faith, he will make straight your path. I believe that promise. What about you? You follow wherever he leads. Ray Pritchard says, and you uh, follow the path that he leads, and the path disappears, and there's a river. Going ahead, you, you ask, what now? And the direction is, keep walking by faith. Doubt says, don't you, don't you go forward. Fear says, I'm afraid of the consequences of going forward. Worry says, how are we going to go forward with this body of water in the way? Preacher says, faith keeps walking. Even with the obstacle in the way, even with the river, the large body of water, ahead of the path, trusting that if it is God's will, he will build a bridge, send a ship, or teach you to swim. I like that. If you acknowledge him in all your ways, he will make straight your path. Maybe the better way to say that is if you want ultimate proof of that truth, run to the cross and look at Jesus. Who was obedient 
to the Father, even to the point of death. But in his obedience, death did not get the last word. God raised him from the dead with all power in his hand. And I declare that he still moves stones. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not depend on what you think you know. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your path. My, my daddy was the pastor of the church I grew up in. My mother was the minister of music in the church I grew up in. It, it was a conspiracy to save me and call me to preach. <laughs> and while my dad was teaching me the scriptures of the church, my mother was teaching me the songs of the church. And there's an old spiritual that they would sing have you rivers that seem uncrossable? Have you mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specializes in things that men say are impossible. And he can do what no other power can do. Amen, amen, amen. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. We know these words. We need you to help us to obey its truth. I commend to you my brothers and sisters who find themselves in a season of weakness, or confusion, or struggle. Would you, Lord, by your word and through your spirit, reaffirm in our hearts and minds that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. And help us. Grant us the measure of faith to trust you in whatever season of life or family or ministry or study we find ourselves in. With confidence that you have everything under control. I pray that you would help us not just to hear these words and dismiss them as reminders of things we've long ago learned. But may your word be a treasure in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Prove afresh in our experience that your grace is sufficient for us and your strength is perfected in our weakness. In Jesus' name, amen.